How do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. It's a very, very special honor. I'm Paula Creamer, and you're listening. Well, we're waiting. Hi, this is Martin Cove, a.k.a. John Kreese from Cobra Kai, and you're listening to Golf Talk Live. Let the word go out from here across the land. Let Daddy Noonan uh, approve. And welcome to another episode of Golf Talk Live. I am Alan DePue, and I am joined, as always, by our panel of veterans with knowledge of the golf industry from all components. As we learned last week, the ever-present Andy Hydorn with <laughs> us once again. Andy, yeah, welcome. Thank you. PGA professional Brendan Elliott, also the uh, founder of the Little Linksters Foundation. Bob Baldessari, himself a PGA uh, professional and the founder of Reimagine Golf. And we have a special guest with us this week. He is the founder of the Silver Club Golfing Society and also the author of Hey Tiger, You Need to Move Your Ball, Your Mark Back. I had to get it right there. My apologies, Steve Scott. And if you've uh, if you're old enough like myself, Steve, I watched the epic battle 1996. Uh, I know Brendan's actually posted something on social media about it, and we're going to dive into that. But welcome to our little uh, little virtual roundtable of the golf industry. Oh, this is very cool. I really appreciate being with you guys. This has got to be the most uh, most people who have ever kind of been on an interview at uh, one time for me. This is great. <laughs> You're surrounded. Well, we told a couple they couldn't come on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and we have five sums allowed. That's all right. <laughs> so, uh, Andy, how was your week? My week was great. My week was great. I uh, played a little golf on the weekend, watched a little golf on TV. Looking forward to talking to Steve here tonight. So, all revved up and ready to go. All right. Well, let's let's dive right in. And as I've already foreshadowed it a little bit. Uh, Steve Scott, nineteen ninety six. Uh, I guess. Uh, We'll uh, we'll set the stage a little bit. We'll, we'll go ahead and let you run with it. 1996, you're playing uh, this guy from California, and uh, you got a, you're what were you five up? I think halfway through the uh, the finals match, and uh, but the notoriety really comes on the 34th hole, and I think that's the premise of your book when yeah. uh, when Tiger had to move his his mark, and you made a mention to him as a and and you know what. This game is all about etiquette. Um, there's many great times in, in, in the history of the game uh, with etiquette. Uh, Jack uh, at the Ryder Cup and uh, some other situations, but Tiger almost made a little technical mistake, but you called him, made, made mention to it, and it became the basis of your book. Um, why? I guess let me ask you a question. Why, why the, writing the book now? Well, yeah, it was it, it was pretty crazy how that match all panned itself out, right? I mean, I'm five up after 18, and I shoot two under par in the second 18, and I don't win. And that, you know, it pretty much wouldn't happen in most matches that you would ever play, but uh, especially on a USGA championship setup with, with thick rough, fast greens, I mean, to force somebody to go and shoot seven under par, uh, you know, to, to tie you is – it's a pretty heady stuff, and uh, but it only happened to be, 
you know, the greatest player, you know, or, you know, one of the two greatest players of our generation, Tiger Woods, right. Um, really forcing him to pull out all the stops and, and he did, he's, uh, he probably in that 65 that he shot in the second round, that seven under probably looking back, it probably could have been 63 or 62 pretty easily. He actually left a couple putts kind of short, uh, granted they weren't like 10 footers, but there was a couple putts he had dead in the heart that just came up short that, uh, that he didn't make. And so, but, but yeah, you know, the, the, I'm two up with three to play and that epic moment on the 34th hole where I had a par putt from 10 feet that I made. And he had a birdie putt from six feet that I forced him to make with my, uh, successful par putt. And he's putting the ball down in the wrong spot and, you know, being two up with three to play. If I win that hole, I win the match. And if you play from the wrong spot, if you know the rules of golf, you play from the wrong spot in a match, you lose the hole automatically. There's no going back. It's not a, you know, a shot penalty or whatever. So um, the match would have been over. And so, you know, I, what I like to say in, in all the talks that I've done and in uh, the member guests that I've been at and all the places that I've been talking about this story and, and giving the book away as a gift and whatnot. It's, it's, it's really that it's that moment where, you know, I, I hope everybody who plays the game would have done the same thing. And right. history says that maybe they wouldn't have. Um, but for me, it was the right thing to do. Um, and because golf had taught me so many great things as a junior golfer up to that point, uh, you know, I was 19 years of age when I played that match. And so, you know, golf was there for me in so many occasions before that match. And I guess in that moment, I was there for the game. Bobby. Yeah, Steve, you know, I think you captured it beautifully in the book. I think that the timing was good when you can reflect back years later. Um, you know, I, I guess there's no regrets. I've got to know you a little bit, you know, your integrity and the protecting of the game. Um, but is it fair to say like every now and then, I think we'd all wonder like, you know, what if, what if it just went a little different? <laughs> I, I I've thought about that a lot in the last 25 <laughs> years plus now going on 26 years. Uh, but I also look at it, you know, what if, if I, you know, what if I didn't say anything, but what if, you know, what if I would have won the U S amateur in that way? And, for, again, for me and for the people who, you know, who appreciate the game to the level that I do um, and respect the, the honor code of, of the game of golf. I mean, what other sport do you know that the first rule of the game is to play with integrity? I mean, that's think an, of one. That's I an mean, awesome point. That's an right. Awesome I mean, point. if you look at the rule book, it's, it's, it's mind blowing that, 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 that is, that is the fact. Um and so, you know, golf is just that sport. It's why golf is up on a pedestal as far as all other sports are concerned in my book. And so, um, you know, that moment is it's yeah, I, I wish I would have won, but you can't win in 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 that way. And it would have been kind of this weird asterisk on the U.S. amateur in a way. And it certainly would have would have changed Tiger's trajectory at that moment. You know, maybe he wouldn't have gotten a 40 million dollar contract from nike the next day um maybe he wouldn't win the masters eight months later um there were so many things that happened in succession because of that moment and you know would he have turned pro right away 
who knows? Maybe, maybe not. It would have been kind of weird looking back on it, thinking, hey, Tiger's going to turn pro on a loss. Uh, you know, that, that'd be kind of funny. It'd be kind of weird looking back and knowing what Tiger has done now. So, but yeah, you know, look, I, I've gotten a lot of, a lot of traction out of that moment. Um, you know, being really, uh, I guess, in a way, a, a, just a steward of the game and, you know, kind of like we all are in all different ways, but, you know, the, the probabilities of what happened in that moment are so astronomical that, you know, I had to be up to, uh, with three to go, uh, or that moment doesn't matter. I mean, I'm the underdog by far. And, um, you know, the match had to be right on the line right then and there. And, and, um, it's just, there's so many things that are mind blowing that, that, that it happened the way it did. And, you know, Tiger got his good at the end and, you know, in so many ways I, I did too. You know, Steve, when I posted on Facebook right before we got going, mm -hmm. I, I just got back from the golf course. I was reliving some of those memories um, because for me, that was a period in time where I just finished college. I was moving down to Florida, trying to pursue PGA membership. And when I got down here, well, the day before I left, I was watching the finals. And the day that I got down here was when, when Tiger had his press conference. And that was a big push for me uh, is someone that was looking to get into the industry so watching this video uh, before we came online, there were so many cool stories that go beyond what you did with that and the, the flow of the match and the great shots by both of you guys. But the thing that was cool to me is someone that's been married 21 years this year, um, 22 years. Oh, God, Alan, we got to we got to fix that part. 22 years. <laughs> edit. No, quick edit. That's five minute mark. Got it. <laughs> the the relationship with you and Christy, let, let's talk about that. I mean, both golfers, most, most people, most PGA members would kill for a partner that's as, as much in love with the game as we are. Um, but having her on the bag, how cool was that? Was that the first time or did, did that something that you guys had done before that? Not, you know, a little bit. I mean, we had only been dating for less than two years at that moment. And, um, and I, I appreciate you bringing her up because, yeah, she's a she's a huge part of the story. I mean, Johnny Miller was gushing over her on the yep. telecast and um, I mean, the whole thing. But, yeah, there were so many layers to this story. Right. And and so, uh, you know, Christy was a was a, a, a you know good high school golfer. She ended up playing at Florida Southern College in Lakeland mm -hmm. yep. and for a few years um, and she had caddied for me. Actually, I qualified for the U S open a couple of months before at Oakland Hills in Detroit. And, uh, she had caddied for me there. So she had already had some big experience, but there wasn't, we didn't have that many caddy uh, player opportunities before that moment. And, uh, you know, it's kind of neat looking back after all these years and being able to share that with her and knowing that, you know, I mean, it kind of been weird if I would have met somebody else and there's all these pictures all over my house of me and this girl like <laughs> caddying for me and like, who is that? And but, um, you know, she's 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 an amazing woman. She's an amazing mom. Now we've got two great kids, um, but she was an amazing back then at really, you know, she was my sports psychologist really uh, on the bag. And, you know, she didn't necessarily, you know, tell me, hey, hit the five iron or this putt breaks right to left. But you know, she kind of trusted me and let me, uh, you know, do my thing, but she was really there. She knew, she knew me and she knew the insides of my brain and how I, 
I ticked. And so that was as important as anything. That's cool. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would say that, that the two of you together, you know, earned the admiration of everybody watching. Um, and it, it was an awesome thing. You, you won the hearts of everybody watching as much as everybody was on the tiger train and, and watching history unfold, you know, I thought I would never, ever get a chance to ask you this question. Um, and it's something that really bothered me mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and by no means is this, is this a negative to Tiger. But when the match ended, And folks, oh, Andy suspense. froze at that very moment. He's been waiting a <laughs> lifetime to ask that question, and he just froze. So we're going to let him come back in a second. Hey, I'm going to. I'm going to. You could not ask for better timing on that. All right, re, re, redo Mulligan. Did 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 I cut out? You, you did. did. You did. It literally froze right when you were making your point. But I'm not going to edit that one out, Andy. No. That's that's so no. lovely. So so, what's the last point that you heard? You build it up by saying you had to ask this one question with Tiger hold out, and you froze. Okay. So, am, am I am I unfrozen now? You are. Yeah, yeah you're okay. good. So, Tiger holds out, and and Tiger goes through this whole procession of of hugging and thanking everybody on his team and you as a competitor sat there patiently and waited for him to acknowledge you as the the warrior and competitor that you were that day and it took tiger an awful long time to get to you and it was cringeworthy and uh, and it always bothered me and again i love tiger I'm not bashing Tiger at all, but yeah. talk to me a little bit about that because that was a thing and I watched it and it was very uncomfortable for me to watch. Yeah. You know, what was funny is that, that, you know, the few years after that as well, there was this Titleist commercial that was on and it was that moment of him hugging Earl and you could see me in the corner of the screen and I'm kind of like, I'm just like, you know, a kid waiting for the bus at the bus stop, like, hey, you know, like I'm over here. And um, it, that, so it kind of it, it, it kind of played itself over and over, uh, you know, out on out on TV and certainly uh, in my mind and the minds of many just like you. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of strange. I, I think that that the tiger of today wouldn't have done that um, Absolutely. back then, though. Tiger was, he was brought up to be this stone cold killer and it didn't matter who it was or what, you know, and there wasn't much of a, a thank you of help me reminding him to move his marker back at all in the closing ceremonies as well. Um, after I, you know, commended him for being this unbelievable player and, you know, this great match and yada, yada, but he just wasn't wired that way. He, he just wasn't wired to be, that guy to, to, to acknowledge that anybody helped him uh, or, you know, you know, it was just, I was just another kind of speed bump in his road to superstardom. And, and I think it's really amazing though, everything that was on the line that day and how, how he was able and how he continued to just compartmentalize everything in his life to just, you know, whether it was all the, 
you know, the, the ladies on the side or whatever, like all the things he was able to do to just put all of that to the side and go play great golf. And knowing that this multi-million dollar Nike contract was, was right in his hands. And I was, I was ruining the party. Uh, you know, I, I will always be proud of though, that I I'm sure I made the, the, the tiger camp really nervous for a long time that day. And, uh, and I, I made them squirm an awful lot. And I, I think that that's, I will always be proud of that, that I, I rose to the occasion in a moment where uh, that, you know, with my game and with the way that I conducted myself and all of that, uh, you know, in a moment where other people could have folded and my, and, and have folded. And, uh, and I, I will always hold my head high because of that. Well, let, let me let me piggyback on that and something that, that Brendan mentioned, Steve, which is how did it feel to be the, the golfing world? He was predestined. He was Tiger. He was going to three P. You already mentioned Johnny Miller's gushing. I mean, you two were out there alone, and I'm a little bit older than you than you. And and I, I'll tell you what, you rolled the rock that day. It, it was <laughs> I made everything. I made everything. I made everything. It was impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how did it feel? I mean, to know the the, the golfing world is just you were you were supposed to be the speed bump, and just like you said, you were you were being a little bit more than the speed bump to, to, to Tiger and his quest. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I was a little bit more than that, right? Um, <laughs> the yeah, I, I think in this day and age of social media, how everything gets blown up. Sure, uh, you know, any small. I mean, back then there was we didn't have cell phones, so you know there wasn't even. I don't know. So it was hard to really, I mean, you knew Tiger was this special competitor and he was going for history and all that, but you know, it wasn't something that, you know, you're flicking through every night through your social media feed and like, it just keeps hitting you in the face. You know, uh, back then it was just, you know, I was playing so well and I kind of didn't, I kind of didn't even care who I was playing. You know, I was just, I, I was playing great and it didn't matter who it was. And I was going to, I was going to do my best to crush him that day. And, you know, I, I, I had that mindset that I was, I was not going to be stopped. And, uh, he just, uh, he, he, he's that much better. That was it. Just that little, that infinitesimal amount that, um, that he just, then he just kept on doing it. So I didn't feel so bad, I guess, when he continued to do it to the <laughs> likes of Ernie Els and VJ Singh and Phil Mickelson and, uh, other players were also predestined to, uh, go on to greatness, which they did, but their greatness could have been even greater if Tiger wasn't in the mix. Oh, by far. Yeah. Yeah. So Steve, uh, you know, after that whole uh, situation and, you know, you had some uh, time on tour and um, like a lot of, you know, great players didn't, didn't stay out on tour, but then you moved into the, being a PGA member. So a fellow PGA member like myself and Brendan Allen's a former PGA member. Um, Andy and I just, uh, you know, Andy could be, I mean, he's got the game. Oh yeah. Um, he's got the TikTok following too, with his great. He does have a TikTok following. <laughs> yeah. We could I got my Larry better. Bird shirt on too. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to get to Celtics here shortly, but, uh, um, yeah, I just think it's neat that, you know, you ended up being a PGA member. Uh, people may not remember or realize you won the Carolinas PGA section. That's the largest section in the country. I mean, there's some really top-notch players in the Carolina section. And so you, you won that, you played more tour events, and um, now your career has segued a little bit into uh, 
the reporting side, being with ESPN, PGA Tour Live. I've uh, been doing some things with uh, the PGA Championship la- or a couple of weeks ago. So right. uh, talk, talk about that as like sort of a, you bring such a really, I think, a healthy, wonderful perspective, not only top, top tournament player, but on the, the teaching side, just the PGA Pro side. Yeah. Yeah. It's, no, that's a great point. I, it's, it's, it is really neat to be a, a PGA member, you know, be the founder of the Silver Club Golfing Society, be around the game so much. Um, and then, uh, you know, the other hat that I wear as a PGA professional, uh, as a broadcaster for sure. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been having the, some really good opportunities lately and they continue to grow. And I, I really enjoy uh, calling golf, being an analyst for, uh, you know, whatever I'm doing. And, you know, PGA Tour Live has been the, you know, the best opportunity uh, recently for me. And I've done some stuff with Golf Channel and I've done some stuff with, uh, you, know, you know, a few, I don't know, many things. But, um, you know, it, it's just been, it's been really neat to be around all these great players you know, get, uh, get inside their minds, get to understand really, you know, so how, what certain golf swings do and, and what the better players do that the, you know, the player who's 150th on the FedEx cup list does not do um, all those little things. It's kind of neat to, to observe that uh, all the weeks that I have and, and to really uh, yeah. And then also, like you mentioned, uh, to be able to kind of dip my toe into the competitive game still and, to play. I've been lucky enough to play in the Wells Fargo and the Wyndham and the RBC heritage, all the three PGA tour events within the Carolina section. So uh, I, I love to compete. I, I, I love to get out there and do that. And, but um, you know, it's, it's just neat to, to wear all these different hats. I think I'd get bored doing one thing, honestly. So I think being able to, you know, be involved in so many aspects of the game and, you know, to talk about it and to promote the PGA professional and the PGA of America and, um, you know, just professional golf and golf in general. I think it's been, uh, it's really fun. And I, I hope I can always do it. You know, to, to piggyback off of what Bobby's talking about that, that's something I found later, well, later in my career, the last couple of years of just, you know, you go in thinking head professional or going that track. And I've just, like you, I've come to want to diversify what I do. And, and there's just so many cool things you can do in this game and, and things you can do to give back. So all the stuff you're doing with broadcasting and sharing your experiences and writing the book, it's just one of many different ways that someone that's looking to pursue membership in the PGA or get into the industry, even without PGA membership, um, the different avenues they can take. So, you know, I, I, I really love people that can get that mindset on how they want to pursue their passion. Cause there's many different ways to do it. Yeah. So Steve, can you talk to us a little bit about the silver club golfing society? We'd love to hear what that's all about. And, uh... Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I appreciate it. The uh, yeah, the silver club is, is a, is a group of amateurs. Uh, it's all single digit handicaps. Uh, for starters. So the, you know, very good players who like to compete single digit handicaps. So I would say the, the majority of our members, you know, the, the, the meat of the memberships between, I would say zero and four handicap. I mean, we have some six, seven and eights and we have some, you know, plus twos and threes and, but uh, the majority of the guys uh, between zero and four Um, we set up events. We do about 20 events a year, you know, some one day events, some major events, 
uh, all at really top shelf clubs around the country. We've had events at places like anywhere from Inverness to Oak Hill to Oakmont to uh, uh, Ballyneal to Trinity Forest, uh, Old Town Club where I live in North Carolina, uh, it, it architecturally significant courses all around the country that, uh, you know, people really would, you know, they look at a list and you're like, wow, I got to go play that. And so you know, we run these kind of camaraderie filled competitions where we always have a social function and we always, it's just this great kind of meeting place of all you know, good players and who, you know, really nice, uh, make nice connections. We have about 35 states represented in our society right now, and we're still we're still growing. We're in our fourth year, but really our third good year because COVID kind of slowed us down one year. But uh, we've got a really nice a nice membership right now, a nice size that's that's growing, and uh, people can can join and have the opportunity to play in our events. And but the the really the best thing is the networking, the camaraderie that all comes out of it, and the friendships. And that's uh, that's been really neat. That's a big part of, of what we do. How are, how are you guys different from the society of seniors? It sounds pretty similar. Yeah, I would say it's, I would say it's pretty similar. Uh, you know, we don't have any, there's no age restrictions. There's no, you know, if, if females want to hop on board, they, they are certainly welcome. Uh, um, we, we, you know, I would say, you know, our members are, you know, we have anywhere between the ages of 26 or seven and 72. I mean, it's really, you know, people, anybody who likes to compete, who likes to travel a little bit and play some wonderful golf courses and meet other people that like to do the same thing. Uh, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just the ability to, to, to go around to some wonderful places and enjoy the great game with other, other folks who, who love to enjoy it too. That's awesome. I'm in. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> Is, do you have to win your pre, uh, club championship first, Andy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's maybe, maybe next year. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 talk offline about that one. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Steve, I had a question for you. I mean, um, you, know, you look at the PGA Championship. You were just out there. You saw the um, amazing comeback from uh, Justin Thomas. And you know, could you share with the listeners, maybe from your perspective, watching tour players at your level of, of playing ability? you know, something that might be a key to help them day to day with their playing. Yeah. I, I yeah. You mentioned Justin Thomas right there. I, I was lucky enough to be, uh, we did a featured group that last day and I was, I was on the call with the Justin Thomas group. Um, and so I got to see every single shot, uh, analyze every single shot uh, from that final round that he played and, and really, you know, it didn't really seem at much at any point, especially in the front nine and even a couple holes into the back nine that he was going to win this thing. Um, you know, he had some fortunate breaks that some, the players came back to him a little bit. They didn't, uh, you know, they made some doubles and some bogeys and whatnot. And he made a long putt on 11. I think that was kind of the moment the, the, the long putt on 11 and the birdie on 12 really uh, kept him going. But you know, I think the best thing to kind of that I learned from that, that, that I would, you know, I'll share is just his patience and didn't, he, he played his game. He had a, he had a, he had a great drive. The 13th hole was a reachable par five and he had just birdied two holes in a row and he and bones had talked through every shot extensively throughout the championship. And, and um, they get to the 13th and it was a pretty sloping fairway, some undulations 
And he had a lie that was just a little bit on a downslope and he had to carry it maybe 215 to the front edge. And the pin was maybe, you know, about 230. And, you know, something he could probably do with a four iron. And he had this little downslope and he was looking over it, looking over it. And, and mindful, he uh, keep in mind that the day before he laid up, dumped it in the bunker and made bogey on this par five that he, you know, he should make birdie half the time. And so anyway, so with all that, Coming into that moment and that decision, he and Bones, they decide to lay up uh, because of this slight little downslope in this fairway. And he lays up and and ends up, uh, he ended up making par. He, he missed the birdie putt and, and you know, a hole where, you know, he, he should have kind of kept that momentum from the previous birdies and he didn't. So anyway, on the next tee shot, and we didn't necessarily see it on air, but our on-course reporter Gary Christian, he, he noticed this. They, uh, he hit his tee shot, uh, Justin did, and then he kind of went like over to the side, maybe used the restroom or something, but he took like an extra couple minutes like to kind of like calm himself down um, and just to, you know, because I'm sure he was a little heated after not making it. And so anyway, the patience level that, that Justin showed uh, in, in that, you know, in that final round, in those last few moments where it was really pivotal, um, that was really the difference maker. And so, you know, just being very patient, really sticking to the game plan that they had, um, didn't ever force the issue, hit some great shots when he had to, but, you know, didn't really panic when he could have kind of gone the other way. You know, a surprise to me was Scotty Scheffler missing the cut, but he comes roaring back this past week. Um, and yep. you know, a tough golf course, tough conditions this past week. What are your, what's your take on Sam Burns and then Scotty Scheffler? Because these two guys are just tearing it up this season. Yeah. I mean, look, winning promotes winning. Right. And so, um, you, you, once you get a few under your belt, Sam had won two up to this point and, and Scotty won four. And so, you know, he was on a, he's been on a tear the whole year. He's so far ahead in the FedEx cup points. Um, Sam is now right behind him, but, but Sam Burns is, he's, I mean, he's, he's a fearless guy. I mean, you see the way he's won his two first two tour events in playoffs with 30 footers, basically. Um, I mean, dramatic stuff that doesn't happen. So the, the self-belief that he has, and he shot 65 in that final round to come from seven behind, um, and the golf course played really difficult and. He, he just went out there and got after it. But, uh, but yeah, both of those players are, yeah. I mean, they're going to be neck and neck when it comes down to that, the tour championship at East Lake and, and they're, they're going to be duking it out, I think. And, and, but both hit it a long way, both, uh, you know, their iron play is fantastic. Their putting is very good. Um, but they, man, they just, they just hit the ball so far and so accurately with their irons. And so, yeah, it's uh, the, the sky is is the limit. But I think what you're seeing is it's just it's a youth it's a youthful game now. The top players in the world are seem to be the youngest. I mean, this year was the first time that all the top five players in the world had been under 30. This had never happened in the history of the game of the world rankings. And so the trends are just it's younger and younger. And um, it's it's shoot. I mean, it seems like it's never too young to train somebody now to, to jump out there uh, and, and go out and, and play well and, uh, and, and really showcase their talents. Steve, you know, they're, they're, sorry, Alan. 
No, I was just going to piggyback on that and just and say, you know, I had I had uh, uh, Billy Hurley actually grew up uh, playing the course that that I managed in, at the time in Virginia. So we, Billy was kind enough to come on the show before, and he and he he said to bring Tiger. Watch, see see how I bring this full circle here, Brendan. To bring Tiger back into it, he see <laughs> he believes that we're seeing the Tiger effect now. That these younger athletes, yeah. these players. It's it's no longer they're not playing soccer or football or whatever other sport. Their athletes are gravitating to golf at a younger age. I just watched the uh, the NCAA uh, the featured group there. All three of those guys were I think one ninety. They're all pounding it out there three fifty. I mean plus yep. four hundred fifty yep. yard hole. They're hitting you know stinger off the tee. <laughs> not even taking driver. Is is that what you're seeing? I mean, your your boots on the ground at these tour events. It's completely, and, and you know the 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 days of a Luke Donald or a Zach Johnson winning a major or being number one in the world. I just I don't know. I don't see it. It has to be some anomaly somewhere along the way. Uh, I just don't see it anymore uh, with with the length that is, that is required to be good on all venues. And I think that's just going back to Scotty Scheffler for just a moment. I mean, I think that's what made him so remarkable. You think of the events that Scotty has won the Phoenix open, not necessarily the longest golf course uh, played obviously very well last week on a golf course. It was about, you know, 7,000, 7,100 yards, you know, a shorter range on the tour, you know, then goes and wins the masters. One of the longest golf courses out there. I mean, his game is very adaptable, but um yeah, the, the the youth of the game and the the athletes coming to this game, uh, you know, there's there's so many players out there that are 6'3", 6'4", who create these monster swing arcs that, I mean, there's this Aussie, Cam Davis, who is just, is, is remarkable. He's got so much talent. He's 6'4". He's tall, lanky, that they just create so much rotational speed that, you're right. I mean, the evolution and the evolution of the golf athlete is uh, you're, you're definitely seeing it. There's no question. And now the money is just is getting outrageous with all, you know, all these other <laughs> tours all over the world popping up. And um, yeah, golf people are, are definitely have gravitated towards the game because of that, that quote unquote tiger effect. It's, a, it's almost like every year too, you know, one year it's it's Cameron Champ, and now there's ten guys that that bomb it past Cameron Champ, and it's it's almost yep. like changes every year, which is, yep. I mean, incredible. It's it's absolutely incredible. And but you know, one of the things that's that's kind of amazing to me, and we talked about this a little bit last week, you know, in regards to the PGA, and, and as it as it as it kind of references back to Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns, really too, is that. The guys seem to be playing great, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. And until they finally win that first time, you know, it, it just seems like it's never going to happen. They're there. They're there. It's never going to happen. Once it happens, it's like Katie bar the door. Look out. Cause it, yeah. it's, it's almost like, like these two Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns, it's not going to stop. You know, it, it seems like it's not going to stop. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I think you're right. I think for, and, and, I feel like that, you know, the, the, the time period of greatness will probably be shorter than, you know, back in the days of, 
you know, the, the, the Faldos and the Curtis Stranges and the, you know, that, and I, I have Curtis Strange in my mind. I actually interviewed him this morning for our podcast, my podcast that I do. And, um, you know, this, this longevity that these players have in the game. Yeah. Because they're, they're so explosive and they're training so hard. Um, you look at a Jason day or, a you know, there's this certain, there's a time window that they're going to be really, what really dominant. And, and then it's a matter, you know, the physical skills can, can go downhill or you get a lot of injuries. There's a lot of injuries out there on tour and, um, and look at Bryson, uh, with his, wrist injuries and you know from all of his training and in the speed and how wherever that injury actually ultimately came from but uh yeah i think the the time period of greatness i think will be shorter but more explosive like we're seeing with scotty scheffler yeah agreed and i and i think what we saw for so long with tiger and people always asking the questions of why is he trying to change his swing in the multitude of times that he did that? You know, there probably out of necessity, I would think. Is he is he aged and he had injuries? You have to find a different way to do it. And to your point, I don't know if we will we'll see that with some of these guys. They're going to have you said like just amazing stretches, but the longevity part—that's something that that's the big question mark for a lot of them. Yeah, the competitive fire really has to keep burning. It has mm-hmm. to keep, you have to keep that fire in your belly, right? And with all the money out there and, and you know, some players are going to play for money. Some players are going to play for history. Um, and, you know, if you play for money and 50 million is, you know, is good for you or a hundred million, like, like, you know, with endorsements and what, like, uh, the, hey, that's great. You know, you look at somebody like, you know, uh, Jordan Spieth had a great run and he's, he's still playing very well, but you know, and, and also life gets in the way, right? Um, you have to be a very selfish mindset. Ricky Fowler is another one played very well as one, uh, you know, plenty of events and has made plenty of money on and off the course. And, you know, his game is kind of going downhill. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a struggle for him right now, but he's got his personal life is great. You know, he's got, he's got a new child and uh, all these things. So it's, it's hard to, to do it all and do it so long. And, and, you know, try to maintain, uh, you know, an injury-free status, too. I, I completely agree. I mean, you could throw Smiley Kaufman into that group. He was another – I mean, he didn't achieve, obviously, the level that a Ricky did. But, I mean, his game's gone into hiding. Um, you know, I was – I picked Zalatoris when I saw him come out. Uh, I thought he was I, – I, he still hasn't knocked on the last door, so to speak. But that kid is impressive. Yep. Another one – Trust me again this week, uh, Davis Riley. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good, so good, so good, right? And then, yeah. and then, and then the other thing, and this is boots on the ground. I got to ask you, what happened to HV three? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's you know you just lose a little focus at, at the wrong point and. And then you get a, you know, the, the 12th through 14th holes last week at Charles Schwab at Colonial were playing really difficult, you know, into a left or right win, which is really difficult for right-handers. And you have to stay really committed to your start lines and to the shape that you're trying to hit it. Um, yeah. I mean, HV3, uh, you know, he just, he just made a couple of mistakes and, and yeah, it, it was, you know, his putting has cost him. I mean, he was, 
he could have won the players this year. He was in a really good position at the players and, you know, kept hitting at eight feet, eight feet, eight feet uh, on Friday or Saturday and just couldn't, couldn't make a putt, couldn't buy a putt. And, you know, Will Zalatoris putting has kind of been his bugaboo too. So, um, you know, you'll, you, what these guys will learn, they'll, you can never outplay your putter as great as you hit it. And then once you see yourself missing a putt or two in a key moment where the pressure is on, then it puts even more pressure on your ball striking and then it can bring your ball striking down and it's this kind of vicious cycle. So yeah, HV three, man, he was really close. I mean, that's all you can say and just kind of imploded and it's too bad to see. I, I like him a lot. I, I think he's, uh, he's awesome for the game and, but just kind of just got to bear down a little bit more at that key point. It shows you just how fragile golf is too, right? Like, <laughs> like, Everybody who plays the game is always on the brink of disaster. I mean, golf is that kind of game. You're yeah. on the brink of disaster, you know, one shot, one putt, whatever it is. And, mm. and you know, he's just got to pick himself up, dust himself off, and not even worry about what happened on the back nine last weekend. Yeah. Hey, Steve, you know, Jermaine, I think to this conversation and some comments we've made, you, then you put it in perspective of Michelle. We went uh, preparing for last U.S. Women's Open and announcing retirement plans. I mean, you dialed the clock back a few years. You think, you know, was there some symmetry, you know, perceived or otherwise that she could be on the trajectory of like Tiger, but like it's in the way injuries, as you said, fire in the belly. Just curious about your perspective on what's happening there. Oh, with Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I saw her when I was an assistant, my first, uh, my first season up in the Northeast at Canoebrook country club in summit, New Jersey, which is right down the street from Baltusrol and 30 minutes outside New York city and whatnot. Uh, my first season up there, I mean, the first month, I mean, that was the time where Michelle actually, she was, she actually qualified or was attempting to qualify in the sectional us open qualifying at canoe brook and so i got to see the early circus kind of up close um and it was yeah it was something it was david ledbetter was there i mean they were there for three or four days prior to the event um you know they were only allowed to play two full practice rounds so they played nine holes four days in a row <laughs> to kind of spread it out and see the golf course and work on the game and the parents were there and the whole it was um yeah, it probably had to be pretty suffocating for her in so many ways. And, you know, it, it, I'm sure in so many ways she lost her childhood, you know, just like Tiger did. Um, it's the sacrifice. And, and um, you know, to be great, you have to really sacrifice. You have to, you know, pay the ultimate sacrifice of, of you know, giving up everything, you know, with friends and family and whatever to chase that little white ball and, and work on the on the game every day. And yeah, I mean, who, who knows? I mean, she, uh, changed her swing a lot. She did this and that. I mean, you know, some of the most physical, uh, skills of anybody who's ever been born really. I mean, she had an amazing swing at 14 years of age when she was trying to qualify for that women, that U S open that, uh, that time. And, yeah. you know, maybe yeah. if she would have won and gotten, gotten really good in her own age bracket against, against other, females her age um you know trying to do too much too soon maybe maybe could have backfired and but uh 
you know, she certainly was a, was a thing for a long time. And I think she'll always, you know, she'll always be a, a name that we, you know, we look at and, 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 uh, you know, admire for sure, because she's done so many great things and, but yeah, she's definitely in a different chapter of her life now. Yeah. One she, last, one last point there. It, while she was doing all those, those exceptional opportunity things, her contemporary in B park, was taking home trophies one after another, after another yeah. USGA trophies and then professional trophies. And, and it's almost, you almost wonder, you know, if she, if Michelle wouldn't have taken that path, <clears throat> you know, she obviously is, is physically just head and shoulders more talented than MB Park was, but yeah, you know, it just is what it is. Yeah, you have to be you have to be not only physically but mentally ready to to handle everything that's thrown at you and all the points. I mean, for me, I'll take my perspective on it. I mean, at 19 years of age, I was just going to my sophomore year after that that match against Tiger and you know, I I was I was thrust into the number 1 ranked amateur role and and yeah, I I I'm sure I put pressure on myself, you know, unbeknownst to me and all of a sudden I kind of started getting the yips and my game kind of went, uh, it went awry a little bit. I regained it, uh, a few years later and had some good success in my senior year, but yeah, the, the game, you, you have to be really ready for, for it. And I think that's why you look at a guy like Colin Morikawa and why he has done so well, <laughs> as opposed to a Matt Wolf, uh, Matt Wolf came out of school early um, obviously had all the talent to win and he did very early. Um, but mentally, you know, we've seen, you know, it's been documented. He's had some, he's had some mental struggles being out there on tour and trying to, you know, manage everything that's going through his mind, um, now and his game has struggled. Um, whereas Colin Morikawa, I mean, he's got a really solid head on his shoulders, uh, you know, stayed in college and, and finished his degree at Cal and, and, and he was ready, he was ready to do it at that, at the moment that he did it. Um, Matt Kuchar back in my day, same sort of thing. He stayed amateur for a while. He could have turned pro. He had a lot of things being thrown at him. Um, he ended up to have a pretty good long career too. So, uh, you, you gotta be ready for, for everything that's thrown at you because there's, there's a lot of stuff. And, and if you don't have a good team behind you that, that really can foresee all of that and had knows what is coming. Um, I think that's the biggest thing for me. You know, you, you just have to, you don't know what you don't know. And so you kind of get caught off guard sometimes in, in life. And um, if you're not ready to handle it, then it can be tough. So we're, we're approaching number 18 here. So let's, let's share just a, a brief moment, get everybody's uh, perspective. We're obviously huge supporters of the LPGA U S women's open. This uh, this week at uh, Pine Needles, I'd like to get everybody's opinion. Who do they think is going to lift the hardware at the end of the week? Bobby, I'll, go oh, Brandon, go ahead. I, I'll make mine real brief. I don't know who's going to lift the hardware because the the talent pool on the LPGA Tour right now is just so deep. Um, but the stories I'm liking is both quarter sisters playing. I love that. <clears throat> that's the case. Uh, Annika in the field. That's Love it. pretty, that's pretty cool. And I, you know, at, at some point since Alexa Pano turned pro, I think she's going to have a big moment at some point here. And could it be this week? 
Perhaps, perhaps not. I would, I would say historically, the U.S. Women's Open has delivered some unexpected champions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like Brendan said, there's a lot of capable, talented girls out there. So, you know, maybe we get someone who's going to break out, maybe like Alexa, who knows? Bobby? Yeah, I think Alexa, you know, I've been watching her since uh, I met her when she was in Drive Chip of Putt many years ago. And I think she, I think she has what, what counts. I'm physically, she can hit it. Um, yeah, you know, down the road, I think she can make a run for it. But, uh, you know, I kind of wonder how Lexi Tom- Thompson will uh, yeah, bounce back. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, at some point you wonder, does somebody just get over the hump and get that little bounce, get that putt. Um, and then maybe there's nothing like when, you know, sometimes when I've not played at the level of Steve, but sometimes you just you get in that, that zone, so to speak, or you just get mad. Um, and you just say like, screw it. I'm just going to play well and fire at the pin. And, um, I don't know. I think it's going to be a, a really good idea. It's golf course is wonderful. I think it'll showcase a lot of good talent. Steve, would you like to throw a guest pick in there? Yeah. You know, look, I, I think, I think um, that Jennifer cup show, I mean, I I'm very yeah. impressed with her. I mean, ball striking has always been her strength. I think pine needles is very much uh, I mean, golf is, it ends up to be, you know, you got to putt pretty well, but, Pine Needles, there's some really narrow corridors out there that you've got to strike the ball very well. Jennifer Cupshow, her ball striking is is typically head and shoulders above most. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, you know, understanding, uh, you know, the Carolina landscape, she went to Wake Forest, which isn't too far down the road from Pine Needles. Um, you know, I, I think I would I would pick her uh and she's been on form pretty well obviously having won the the first major of the year out there and uh at the chevron championship so uh in uh in palm springs so yeah i would i would go i'll go with her i like that well 6600 yards playing to a par 71 pine needles is looking ready to uh welcome the best in the world on the women's side of the game my pick uh for some of the same reasons steve that lydia co I mean, she's she's steady and she hits it on a rail. <laughs> so that's uh, that's who I'm going with. Andy, your favorite time of the of the show. <laughs> Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. But I got a bonus one. We have a we have a Memorial Day bonus one this week that I have to throw in there. <laughs> okay, so so my Don't Be That Guy is is um, one of the many pet peeves that I have, um, but. I don't know if, if many of the listeners saw, but the Iowa State High School Girls Tournament was played and they had uh, a setup that was ridiculous is probably a fair, a fair way to, to uh, describe it, where on a particular green, the average amount of putts, I think, was, was four or five putts on that hole. The average score was quadruple bogey. Um, and my don't be that guy is, look, if your task was setting up a golf course, this isn't about you. Is it you're, you're not to put your ego in play here and, and try to make the most difficult, insidious setup that's ever been set up in the history of tournament play. Your job is to make it interesting 
um, visually to make it fair. Um, don't make it about you and set up the course, you know, using the right things um, instead of trying to make it just out and out difficult. So don't be that guy. All right. So my bonus one before I throw final thoughts over to Brendan is holiday weekends tend to be busy at a golf course. In fact, we did 340 rounds at mine on Sunday. Don't be that guy that when I ask you to kind of pick up the place because you just turned in 220 and you look at they look at you and say, I def I effing played $215. I'll do what I want to do. <laughs> Don't be that guy. That, that guy's out there all over the place. <laughs> Brandon, 18th green before the flag stick gets put in. What do you got? And that's why I only teach now and do not work <laughs> as a manager of a golf facility. Uh, I want to see John Rahm have a little bit of payback this week and uh, do well at the Memorial. That would be that would be a nice uh, story to cap off what happened uh, last year. Then that's my final thought. Bobby, uh, yeah, well, I was sort of going to take a little take on "Don't be that guy," but be that guy next time you're behind Tiger getting a. a, a sort of right behind Tiger with the photography, right at Tiger and you're behind him, be the guy and show the beer or maybe show another product because yes. that, that guy in Tulsa, <laughs> he's doing pretty good. So uh, um, yeah, be that guy, be that product sponsor. Live in the moment. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Andy. Okay. So um, pine needles was kind of Annika's coming out party. Um, and it's really cool that she's playing, uh, this week there. And I remember being a, the Callaway guy that I was, um, I remember, you know, she was such a young, shy player back then and, and she won her U S open and it, and it just launched her into such an amazing career. So it's, it's uh, cheers to Annika yeah. is my final thought. And my final thought is, uh, Steve, appreciate you coming on and sharing some great insights, some great stories. Opportunity now. Please tell everybody, how can they find the Silver Club Golfing Society? Yeah, you can find it on at Silver Club Golf on Instagram or Twitter uh, or Silver uh, SilverClubGS.com on the web. Uh, you can find me at SScottPGA on Instagram and Twitter and uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. Love to, love to connect with anybody who loves to travel and play the game for play the game or, you know, anything about the game. I'm happy to, uh, happy to banter on Twitter, anything, just, uh, reach out to me. And your book again, Hey Tiger, you need to move your mark back. I'm assuming Amazon. <laughs> yep. You can get it on Amazon. I, if you, if you go to my website, move that back.com, uh, you'll, you can buy it through there and I will sign it personally and send you a really cool ball marker as well. Um, and, uh, and I'll be happy to do that. So, uh, move that back.com. Excellent. Again, thanks for being with us. Continue folks to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, the show, it comes out every Wednesday morning, uh, without fail because Andy, when you get there to the club this week, don't forget to hit it long and straight because it's just better than hitting it short and crooked. Presented by Golf Talk Live and brought to you by 
Perfect practice putting mat. Yips. And Survivor Golf Tee. You only have one opportunity to sell your golf property. Shouldn't you partner with an expert that offers you 30 plus years of golf industry experience combined with the reach of a global leader in real estate? Collier's International Golf Brokerage and Advisory Services understands your unique business needs. Whether it is brokerage, management, and consulting, be reassured that the market leader in the business of golf is providing you the real answers and practical solutions you deserve. Contact Golf Talk Live co-host and Collier's Golf Advisory Services member, Alan Depew today at 717-554-8519. That's 717-554-8519.